Hey everybody, Andy here. Welcome to Your Move, where we help you make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. As a nonprofit organization, we rely on the generosity of our listeners. So if you have been positively impacted by this podcast, would you consider supporting Your Move with a tax-deductible donation? To give, just visit yourmove.is slash give. That's yourmove.is forward slash give. Thanks for considering. And now back to the show. I'd like to begin with something that um, purposely will make all of us uncomfortable. And I've done my best to put together a list of things that will make all of us uncomfortable. And so if at the end of my list, if you're not uncomfortable, I wanna apologize ahead of time. Um, and if after I read my list, you just wanna shout out your adjective because I missed you, you feel free to do that. Although it may ruin Christmas for you and draw undue attention to yourself. And even if you're watching from home or in the car, feel free to shout out your word if I missed you. Um, what, what do you call a group? What do you call a group of lying, cheating, greedy, covetous, lustful, porn watching, tax dodging, racist, jealous, judgmental, lonely, angry people who eat too much, who spend too much, who drink too much, who medicate too much, who worry too much, smoke too much, but who gather together because they believe Jesus is the light of the world <laughs> and they need more light. You call that the church. <laughs> Did I miss anybody? Yeah, you should clap, yeah. In fact, if you showed up today and you thought you were surrounded by a bunch of holy people, we just burst your bubble, didn't we, big time? In fact, if you showed up today, you're watching today, you say, oh, I don't think I really fit with the church, perhaps you found yourself on my list. It's very odd to me to hear people talk about the church like the church is an institution um, rather than a group of people. That the church, you know, people sometimes, maybe you've said this, well, the church ought to do this and the church ought to do that. The church should do this. The church should do that. My favorite one is when people say, Andy, the church should take a stand. The church should take a stand. And um, I, I have a friend named Jonathan Reckford who, who I first heard him say this, so I stole this from Jonathan. He said, Andy, generally, generally speaking, when people tell you to take a stand, they really want you to take their stand, right? But here's the deal, and you know this. And if you don't know this, it's time for you to know this. I, I'm not the church, right? We are the church. And besides that, um, the, the church isn't a place where, you know, everybody just all agrees on everything. The, the church is a gathering of diverse people. The church is a gathering of very imperfect people. That's why you weren't offended with my list. You could find yourself on the list, right? The church is a gathering of imperfect people with different views and experiences who really, they don't agree on everything. We basically just agree on two things. We just agree on two things. We agree that God sent his son into the world to forgive us of our sins and to help us get beyond ourselves, to forgive our sins and then to help us get over ourselves. And secondly, we believe the thing that we agree on is that God sent his son into the world. And when he did that, he extended something to us that now we are responsible for extending to one another and others outside the gathering. And that thing that we've been called to extend to others is simply grace. 
Grace when it comes to relationships and grace when it comes to us is like the oil in the machine. You know how machines work or you know enough about how machines work to know why oil is important. And grace is like the oil in society. Grace enables folks who are different from each other to work together without destroying each other. Grace allows people who aren't like each other to like each other. Grace allows people who aren't alike to get along in such a way that they're able to accomplish amazing things even though they have differences. And the cool thing is, the amazing thing is, the reason we talk about this is at Christmas is that your heavenly father, God, initiated this. Your heavenly father modeled this. In fact, it's in one of the most famous lines of one of our most famous Christmas carols. God and sinner reconciled. God and sinner reconciled. At Christmas, we celebrate the reconciliation of God and sinner, and that could not happen without grace. You can be right without grace, but you can't be reconciled without grace. And aren't you glad, because I am, just speaking for me, aren't you glad Jesus did not come into the world to be right? Jesus came into the world to make things right. In fact, within the context of relationships, grace becomes amazing when it's extended to other people. I mean, as I said last week, grace is, grace is invisible. Grace isn't even a thing until it's experienced. And it's only experienced within the context of relationships. And when God sent his son into the world, he's extended grace to us by sending Jesus to us. And grace is most amazing when it shows up in relationships because it can only be experienced in relationships. And you, this is amazing, you are most amazing when you extend grace to others people. You are most like your father in heaven when you extend grace to other people. And in this way, God's amazing grace, his grace to us, God's amazing grace um, to you is an invitation to be amazing. There's a sense in which grace or the opportunity to extend grace to other people is my greatest opportunity relationally. And it is your greatest opportunity relationally. It is your opportunity to be amazing. But, and here's the rub, Extending grace to other people is not easy for some of us, is it? More specifically, extending grace to certain people is not easy for some of us. And if I can just pry a little bit, extending grace to certain kinds of people, certain groups of people, certain people who embrace certain behaviors, or certain groups of people that remind you of someone who hurt you in the past, all of us have a person or a group of people to whom it is very difficult or challenging to extend grace. And Jesus, this is so amazing, Jesus tells us why. Jesus, and perhaps what is the most unsettling question asked by anyone at any time, anywhere, Jesus explains why it is unsettling or why it is so difficult for me to extend grace and perhaps why it's so difficult for you to extend grace. But I gotta warn you about this question. This question is a difficult question. This question is like being punched in the nose. Um, and I just wanna give, give one other qualifier. If you're not a Christian, and by, by that I mean you're not someone who is following Jesus, um, you don't have to play. You can kind of sit back and watch all of us feel miserable when Jesus asks us this question because we're Jesus followers. And if you're not chosen to follow Jesus, um, this may be a good reason to never follow Jesus because this question is so difficult. It really is like a sucker punch. It's like he just gets right up in our face. So here's the question. Here's a question that takes us right to the epicenter of why it is so difficult for most of us to extend grace to somebody or to a group of people. And so are you ready for this question? You're watching at home, you're driving, are you ready for this question? Because this, this, is, this is gonna rock you back on your heels. Jesus was the master communicator and apparently he knew how to land a punch, here it is. 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Oh man, can you just talk about prayer or um, our Father in heaven? I mean, why? Well, yeah, yeah, no, 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 we'll get to that. Why? This is Jesus. Now, and, and this is important to remember because for the next few minutes, you're going to get very upset at me. I just want you to know, I didn't say this. I, I, don't, I wouldn't ask you this question. This is Jesus. I'm just the mouthpiece. You know, don't shoot the piano player, okay? This is, this is Jesus asking you and asking me. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Why do you focus? Why do you, you know, look specifically? Why do you give all this attention and get so amped up and ramped up and emotional about the speck, the little itty bitty thing that they do wrong in your brother's eye? And you don't pay any attention to your issues, to your problems, to your habits, to your attitudes, to the plank in your own eye? to which somebody says, I'll tell you why, because it's not a speck of sawdust, okay? She's a Democrat. <laughs> He's a Republican. That's not a speck of sawdust, that's a forest, okay? So don't get all upset with me and my response to him or her. I, I, hey, look, he's a white politician, okay? That's not a speck. I went, I went by their home, they were watching CNN, okay? So that is an issue for me, all right? He has Fox News on all the time, 24 seven, right? But for some of us, it's more personal than that. For you, your response is, it's not a speck. My dad left when we were eight years old. He never looked back and my mom had to raise three kids with none of his help. And then when he got old and sick, he shows up and he wants us to help out. I'm sorry, that is not a speck of sawdust. That's not a speck. I don't know what those are, but those aren't specks. And rightfully so, we should get a little defensive around a question with Jesus would ask us when he doesn't even seem to know our story, right? Secondly, Jesus, you might be tempted to say, I don't have a plank in my eye. First of all, that's not a speck of sawdust. And secondly, the reason that I look at the speck of sawdust in my brother's eye and don't pay attention to the plank in my own eye is I don't have a plank in my eye. I see the world as it really is. I, I understand how things really work. I know what's going on. Isn't that true of you? I mean, come on, let's be honest. You, you don't have a plank in your eye, do you? I mean, come on, you're not in any way influenced by your upbringing, right? Or the environment you grew up in or are in now, right? I mean, these things couldn't possibly taint the way you see the world or the people around you, could you? It's ridiculous. You're not influenced by your experience, your education, your health, your lack of health, your health struggles, the fact that you've been get blessed with great health. You have, you're not influenced in any way in terms of how you see the world and people around you based on your success, your failure, your insecurities, your opportunities, your IQ or your EQ, right? I mean, some of you don't know what EQ is because of your IQ, but these things, <laughs> these, things, these things don't influence the way you see the world, right? I mean, Jesus isn't talking to you. He's not even addressing you, is he? Perhaps, but Jesus isn't through. He goes on. He says, how? How can you say to your brother? How can you say to your brother-in-law? How can you say to your sister, your sister-in-law, your neighbor, that guy at work? How can, how can you say to that person, let me take the speck out of your eye. Let me help you see clearly. Let me help you see the world the way it really is because I see the world the way it really is. When all the time, Jesus says, he's just amazing, isn't he? 
when the whole time that you've been critical, the whole time you've had such a bad attitude, the whole time you look at your watch every time you visit because you told your wife in the car, your husband in the car, we're staying 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Ready? Go. We got 30 minutes, okay? Why, 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 he would say, when the whole time you've had a plank in your own eye and then, if you're, if you're not a Christian, you're gonna love this next part. In fact, this may be the favorite, your favorite thing Jesus ever said. You may not even know he said this. Jesus rears back and maybe with a smile on his face, I don't know. Jesus rears back and he gives us a two word sentence. He says, you hypocrite. <laughs> to which all the unchurched people are like, finally, somebody has given it to those church people. Who was that again? Jesus said that? Yeah, he called his own folks hypocrites. <clears throat> you sinner, you fall shorter, right? That's what it means. You did it on purpose, sir, <laughs> over and over. <clears throat> do, do you know why God is able to extend grace to you in spite of you? And do you know why God is able to extend grace to you in spite of you. Do, do you know why God is willing to give you what you don't deserve, even though he knows better than anybody what you do deserve? Do, do you know why God doesn't overlook sin, that God chooses to forgive your sin and treat you as if you'd never sinned? Do you know why God is able to extend grace? Do you know why God decided to send his son into the world to pay for your sin so that you could be reconciled through grace? Because he could see you for exactly who you are and take all of that into consideration. He knows, he knew all about your upbringing. He knows about your dad and your stepdad. He knows about the environment you were forced into or the environment you were taken out of or the environment that you can't get out of now or the environment that you're in now at school or your fraternity or your sorority or the people that you're surrounded with or you showed up in the big city and it's so different than the small town you grew up in and you have to have friends. Nobody can survive without friends. He sees all that, he gets all that. He knows what you've experienced, what you've done and what was done to you. He understands your health challenges and why that and how that set you back. And it was more difficult for you to connect. It was more difficult for you to excel. It was more difficult for you to connect. He understands what success has done to you. It blindsided you. Most people have a difficult time passing the success test. He understands what failure did to you. He understands the connection between what you were told as a child and your failure as an adult. He knows your insecurities. He knows the opportunities you missed, the ones you took advantage of, the ones you should not have taken advantage of and where it led. He knows all about your IQ and your EQ. He took all of that into consideration. And having taken all that into consideration and what you did with it and what you didn't do with it, and your heavenly father decided to extend grace to you. And the apostle Paul, looking back on the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the apostle Paul, who understood himself to be the biggest hypocrite of all, even though he knew the law as well as anyone else in the first century, wrote this, but he didn't have us in mind. He had himself and his first century brothers and sisters in mind. He wrote this incredible, incredible statement, but God, and this, and I, this, this meant so much to the apostle Paul, but God put on a demonstration. God didn't just say it. God didn't just send it in a letter. 
God put on a demonstration of love, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the verb tense here is really important, and this is, this is I, I still can't get my mind around this. The apostle Paul recognized when he was writing this letter, this is what he recognized. While I was north of Jerusalem, unaware of what was happening in Jerusalem, while I was north of Jerusalem sinning, Jesus at the very moment I was a sinner sinning was dying for the sin that I was sinning. Think about this. This wasn't future tense. This was the apostle Paul realizing because they lived at the same time. While I was still a sinner, actively sinning, Jesus was nailed to a cross for the sins I was committing at that very moment. He understood grace in a way that I'm not sure we can ever understand it because he lived in the day and age. Imagine that while I was still sinning, Christ died for the sinner. I think if he had written, made the same statement with you in mind and with me in mind and with us in mind and with the future in mind, I think he might've written it this way. But God demonstrates his own love for you or us in this, knowing ahead of time, knowing ahead of time the sins we would commit and confess and repeat and confess again. Christ died for us anyway, because that's what grace does. That God was able to take your whole story into account and gave you what you deserved least, but what you needed most. And then he says to you and he says to me, come on, I just want you to do for others what I have done for you. But to be clear, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, now look, don't leave here and feel, just feel bad about yourself and tell your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your roommate or your fraternity brothers, your sorority sisters, or you know, well, you know what? I'm gonna try to be a better person and I'm gonna try to be nicer. Jesus says, no, this isn't what that's about. That's not where this starts. This doesn't start with recommitting yourself to being sweeter and kinder. He says, first, he gives us a list. First, before you try to figure out how to extend grace to someone else, you will never get that right unless first you take the plank out of your own eye and then, and only then, will you see clearly enough to know how to extend grace to the people that need what they don't deserve, but what you've been called to extend to them. This is so powerful. And just honestly with me, see, I prepared this message about three weeks ago and it has been on my nerves for three weeks and I couldn't wait to share the guilt because this is such a difficult question because I can't get up here and talk about this without saying, God, okay, you know, if we could just get past the Sunday when I present this and I can quit thinking about this, but I, what are the planks I am carrying around? Because there are people I have a hard time with. And what is it about them that actually reflects on something about me? Because planks get in the way of grace. So here's my version of Jesus' question. His is better, mine is shorter. You got planks? You got planks? You got planks? I don't know if you have planks. Jesus says, you probably got planks. That's why there's something you're not looking forward to. Don't miss this. Because Jesus, I think he is saying, look, when you begin to see that person the way I see that person, you will not dread the encounter as much as you will see the encounter as an opportunity to do something unsettling. 
You won't dread that occasion, that dinner, that party, that meeting, that gift exchange. You won't dread it as much as you'll see, aha, here is the one opportunity I may have all year to do for someone what they would not do for me because of what they did to me that they're not expecting for me to do for them. And here's the brilliance of Jesus' teaching. This is why he says, first, 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 you've got to examine your own heart. You've got to examine what's in your own eyes. First, you've got to remove the plank before you try to extend grace. If you try to just be nicer and more patient and more kind, but you don't deal with your own planks, this isn't gonna work. First, remove the plank from your own eye. And then did you notice the, the terminology? And then you will see clearly, then you will know then you will know better, then you'll have greater insight too, then you'll be a little bit more authentic when you decide to do for someone else what God through Christ has done for you. Here, here's what I've learned, and, and honestly, I've learned this the hard way, I'm still learning this. The more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, in other words, the more time I spend in the mirror of God's word, the more time I spend reading the messages and the teaching and the, the activities of Jesus, the more I am aware of what God has yet to do in me, the more time I spend on my planks, the less aware, the less aware I am of what he has yet to do in you. In fact, not only just the less aware, to be honest, the less bothered, the less put off, the less offended, the more aware you are of what God has yet to do in you, the more aware you become of what God has yet to do in you, the more aware you become of the planks that you need to remove, the easier it will be to extend grace to others because the less aware you will become of what God has yet to do in them because you have focused your attention. This is what Jesus taught on what God has yet to do in you. This is so amazing to me. This is why I love the Christmas story. At Christmas, at Christmas, grace came to earth. At Christmas, grace came to earth to dwell with us in spite of us. And this Christmas, you are gonna have an opportunity perhaps to do some in spite of, and it won't be effective, and it won't work, and you will find no joy in it unless you first remove the plank from your own eye. Isn't this interesting that God was more, and this is the goal, this is where you have to get, this is where I have to get, this is why this is such an important lesson right before Christmas. Isn't it interesting that God was more brokenhearted over our sin than he was put off by it? That God was so brokenhearted over our sin, he sent his son into the world to pay for our sins so that God and sinner could be reconciled. Jesus drew near even though we by choice had been far away. Jesus didn't take sides, Jesus came alongside. Isn't that amazing? And that's what we find throughout the gospels. But there was an exception. There was a group of people that Jesus did not come alongside of. In fact, the kind of running gun battle in the, uh, the gospels, the, per the group of people that Jesus had the most conflict with they weren't sinners in the traditional sense of sinners. You know this if you grew up in church. The people that Jesus had the most problem with were people who represented graceless religion. Religious people whose, religious people whose planks made it impossible for them to see people the way he saw them. 
People who had so dumbed down God's law that they didn't believe they were in the need of grace. And Jesus had no patience with that group of people. And I don't wanna be one of those people. And you don't wanna be one of those people. And if you're not a person who's a church person or someone who follows Jesus, it may be because you've run into too many religious people who embraced a graceless religion. Because the truth is, when grace is up front, when grace is up front, when grace is out front, there's something very, very attractive about grace and the people who exhibit grace. In fact, your favorite people in the world, I don't even know you or your story. I don't know you or your story, but some of your favorite people, in fact, maybe your favorite person is a person that wears their grace and carries their grace out front. John said that Jesus was full of grace and truth. So I'm gonna ask you one more question, even though this is another pesky question, but I feel like I need to ask you. Jesus was full of grace and truth. What are you full of? Or let me elaborate a little bit. What, what comes out of you? What comes out of you when you get shaken up? When you get shaken up, what comes out? When you bump into sinners like you, when you bump into sinners like you, the only difference being they have a different list, list of sins. When you bump into people who kind of get on your nerves, but actually you get on their nerves as well because you're different, but you get on each other's nerves. What comes out of you when you get shaken up? When you get shaken up, what comes out? So what about you? Are you ready to remove a plank? Are you willing to remove a plank? Are you willing to remove a plank so that you can see clearly in order to benefit and give grace to people around you. People that you're sure wearing the plank, people that you're sure have the plank and you're the one with the sawdust, would you be willing to consider that perhaps you have a plank that needs to be removed, that is keeping you from extending grace to someone in your life that honestly, this is no exaggeration, grace from you could change their life. Grace from you would be an introduction to the grace of God. Grace from you because they know they don't deserve it because they are so aware of what they've done. It could change their life. For some of you, that is your story. It was the grace that you received from someone who you hurt deeply that ultimately opened you up to the truth of Jesus. So the question that I wanna ask all of us is are you ready for grace to come to town? Are you ready for grace to come into your home? Are you ready for grace to envelop and embrace the people that you're gonna see and be around? Are you ready for Christmas? And taking, taking that plank out of your eye, recognizing what's gonna be difficult for you to recognize, acknowledging the thing that none of us wanna acknowledge about ourselves is the best preparation for a season characterized by grace. And here's the thing. If you still feel superior to sinners like you, you still have some work to do. And you've lived long enough to know this. When there is a person that really just gets on your last nerve, oftentimes there is something in them that is reflecting back on something in you. And we all know that. I think Jesus would say, hey, as you celebrate my birthday, as you celebrate my birth, as you celebrate what God did on your behalf during this Christmas season, take some time to reflect and remove the plank from your eye. 
Grace really is, relationally speaking, it really is the unsettling solution for just about everything. And Jesus was full of grace and he extended it to people who were nothing like him. And then he asked people like us who were nothing like him to extend it to people who are nothing like us and who may not even like us. So let's do that. This Christmas season, let's do something unsettling. Let's be unsettling. Let's give to someone what they don't expect and what they perhaps don't necessarily deserve. And when you do this, you will be like your father in heaven. You will be part of the unsettling solution. You will be amazing, amazing, just like, just like grace. So thanks for listening. But before you go, I wanted to take a minute to thank everyone who supports Your Move financially. It's the generosity of our listeners that makes this podcast possible. So if you have found this content helpful, we would like to invite you to make a tax-deductible donation to Your Move. You just visit yourmove.is forward slash give. That's yourmove.is slash give. Thanks for considering and make sure you join us next week on Your Move.